You're listening to the First Baptist Church of Marble Falls, Texas sermon podcast. For almost 130 years, FBCMF has served the Marble Falls and the Greater Highland Lakes area faithfully through children's programs, youth activities, and adult discipleship. We invite you to join us each and every Sunday at 9 and 10.30 a.m. for deep fellowship, rich worship, and a spirit-filled message. Never miss an archived sermon by subscribing to our podcast on either SoundCloud or iTunes. For more information about our church or to watch a video version of this and other sermons, please visit us online at fbcmf.org. Today is the last sermon in the sermon series called Evidence for Faith. The whole series has been designed to, to try and help all of us to, to understand more deeply uh, that our faith in God and the story of God's redemptive movement in Jesus Christ is very rational and very reasonable. Now, I know that, that some of you here did not need this sermon series uh, I know that because, because some of you have told me so. <laughs> I, I get it. I, I get it. But I, I also hope that all of you can understand the difficulty that many of the people sitting all around you experience as they try and, and, and face this, as they face trying to live out their faith in a culture that is increasingly hostile toward Christianity by, by claiming that Christianity is an irrational and an illogical kind of belief and that atheism is intellectually superior. And, and so I preached it for that reason because a lot of us do deal with this kind of thing. And at the same time, also, there are a lot of people here in this room and, and there are people who are listening right now to, to us online and they have not yet come to the point where they have crossed the threshold of giving their lives to Christ. Amen. They haven't done it yet. And one of the reasons they haven't done it is, is they're searching. They're, they're thinking about it, and they're trying to figure out, is it rational? Is it right? And so for all of us to talk about the evidence for our faith, it does. It, it gives them some, some ground to step on as they make that kind of faith decision. There are some people who, who wonder, um, if, if I give my heart and my mind to God, does that mean that I also have to um, check my mind at the door and, and give away all uh, uh, of my own ability to reason? Do I stop reasoning just because I give my mind to Christ? And so for all of those reasons, not everyone here this morning didn't need it. A lot of people have. And we have to be well-balanced as, as a church and well-balanced when I preach on these things. I have to cover a lot of stuff. And y'all, I've grown as I've studied and talked about it, and I hope that at some level all of you have too. And one of the important things I want you to remember that we have talked about throughout the whole series is we have talked about the conflict of the religion of popular atheism and the conflict it has with the religion of, of Christianity. That, that as I have talked about that, we're tempted to think that the situation is really dire and, and difficult. And, and what I want y'all to remember is this, that, uh, that people are hungrier for the gospel of Jesus Christ than we think they are. 
Um, I don't want to exaggerate the conflict or make it seem as if we, we, we just kind of have to hunker down and save ourselves because everybody is against us and we cannot be, um, uh, go out and, and, and be bold with our faith because we're just going to be attacked constantly. No, no, no. There are a lot of people who are hungry for the gospel. And it is not us against our world. It is us for our world. Us for our world. And I've tried to talk extensively about that. And, and if you remember, here's a, a quick look back at our journey. The first Sunday that we started this, we talked about the process of how we got the word of God and how every single book of the Bible had to be connected to one of the apostles who, who lived and taught during the first century. It also had to be well accepted by the church at large. And third, um, the, the content of that particular book uh, the information had to talk about Jesus in a way that everybody agreed and they knew that that was true about Jesus. The second Sunday of the series, we, we talked about the really hard teachings in the Bible. Some of the teachings that people are Christians often are embar embarrassed to deal with. And we talked about it and we talked about how to interpret and how to really uh, struggle through some of them. And we said that when you interpret them in light of their own cultural, historical context, that it helps. And then second, in light of what else does God say about it, as we follow the progress of his ethical development of that issue from Genesis to Revelation. And so we can finally see the, the final ethic of the kingdom of God as we follow its movement throughout Scripture. And it helps us to interpret the really hard passages of Scripture. The third Sunday, we, we talked about, is it reasonable at all to believe in God? That, that since we cannot prove that God exists empirically, then how can we prove or how can we talk about God? And we said that when we look at life, there are certain realities that rise to the surface. And as Christians, we see those, uh, for instance, the sinfulness and the goodness of humanity. And Christian, our Christian worldview speaks to that. And so we, we, we address this issue of, yes, humanity is sinful, but yes, humanity is good at the same time. Our worldview speaks to it. It also speaks to the idea that in the, innately in the heart of, of all of humanity across civilizations and across history, there is this deep hope that things can be better tomorrow. And, and, and it really appears as if heaven has come and kind of implanted itself upon people's hearts. And when people are hopeful for something better, it is an indication that humanity overall has this God kind of hope inside of them. Where did it come from? And we talked about how reasonable it is to suggest then as Christians that, that, that this hope that people have comes from God. And so all of reality, there are clues that point us to, the, to God and it is reasonable. And then after that, uh, we, we looked, you will remember, at the evidence of the empty tomb. When we think about uh, that they came to the tomb that morning and it was empty and no one was there, the, the Roman Empire nor all of the Jewish ruling council could not produce a body. Jesus had risen from the grave and there were eyewitnesses who said that they had seen him. And you have the changed life of the apostles to demonstrate that they had seen the Lord. All of this evidence for the empty tomb. And then after that, we talked about the problem of evil and suffering in our world, that atheism 
claims that because of the problem of evil and suffering, it demonstrates that there cannot be a all-powerful and an all-loving God or else he would have done something about that. And we said, no, God did not invent all of the evil and suffering. Sin causes evil and suffering in our world. And we talked about the omnipotent power of God. And we said that uh, God's omnipotent power cannot have the nonsense kind of definitions cast upon it that we really think about God's omnipotence in that he was not going to create a world that was incapable of discomfort because that is impossible, that's nonsense. But the way that God's omnipotent power and loving do come across is that when, when we do experience pain and suffering in our lives, God's power and love have the ability to bend that pain and suffering for his glory and for our own good. And then last week, we talked about how the Bible and science do work together. That in science, there are these fine-tuning constants that science has discovered at the very beginning that if it were not for the constant, um, um, perfectly positioned fine-tuning of certain things, then we would not have gotten the world that we see today. And where does all of that fine-tuning, if it is one of the original um, things like gravity and, uh, and, and, and uh, the nuclear fusion things that all had to be perfectly aligned, where would they come from? And Christianity suggests that the fine-tuner was God himself And then we said that science and religion both have a capacity and uh, and part of uh, what the Bible is for is its capacity, what its real purpose is, is theology and is pointing us to God and that even Genesis itself is written for the purpose of connecting us with God and showing us who God is and how much he cares for us rather than dealing with science. And this is an exciting news to anybody struggling with all of these issues. And so today I, I want to bring you to all of this. Here is where we're going to bring the journey to an end. We're going to borrow a very rational idea that Amy Stubblefield read a moment ago from an early Pharisee, a man named Gamaliel, in Acts chapter 5, verse 34. He was one of the leaders of the Jewish ruling council, And before I read the passage one more time, here's the background of what's going on. Peter and all of the apostles have just experienced this exciting thing where Jesus has come back to life, he has ascended, and now he has given them the instruction to take the gospel throughout the whole world. And as they're trying to do this, obviously the Jewish ruling elite does not want it done. And so they'll arrest Peter and, uh, and then they'll arrest the apostles. But oftentimes, um, uh, we've already seen it twice, where an angel of the Lord takes Peter and rescues him and gets him out of jail. And, and now the, the Jewish ruling elite are debating this. What should we do? They're, they're, uh, they're frustrated about it. They're angry about it. And they're about to kill Peter and the other apostles. And here's where Gamaliel stands up and he says something that is exceedingly rational. And uh, and I want to share it with you. He says, A Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all of the people, he stood up in the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish ruling council, and he ordered 
that the apostles be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, and he said, Now, men of Israel, I want you to consider what you're intending to do to these men, talking about Peter and the apostles. And then he gives two illustrations to, to try to make a case that, that what the apostles are doing is really nothing at all. It's, it's senseless. He said, Now, some time ago, Theudas, uh, uh, he was a man, and, and he appeared claiming to be somebody. He wanted everybody to follow him. He said, I really have it all together. And about 400 men rallied to him. Well, he was killed, and all of his followers dispersed, and his movement came to nothing. After him, here's the second illustration, a man named Judas, the Galilean, appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too, he was killed, and all of his followers scattered. And therefore, in this present case of Christianity, I, I, I advise you. He, he's saying, it's, I, it, we've heard the story, it's the same song. Jesus came, he claimed to be somebody, a lot of people rallied to him, we killed Jesus, and guess what? All, it's all going to amount to nothing. The, the movement is going to fail, and it's not going to progress at all. It's going to happen the exact same way. And he says, therefore, in this present case, I advise you, just leave these guys alone. Let them go. And here is what he says. This is the exceedingly rational um, response. And this makes sense. He says, if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it's going to fail, just like these other guys, right? It's going to go away. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. Isn't that rational? My goodness, I love this guy. Gamaliel's my favorite Pharisee. He's awesome. What he said is fair, and it, it, and, and it makes sense. The, we, we could, if we wanted, pose a very important question to popular atheism. We could say this. I know that, that you don't believe in God, but let's play this out for just a moment. If there was such a thing as an all-powerful and an all-loving God, then could, and, he, and if that God wanted to achieve something in our world, then could humans do anything to stop God if he were all-powerful? And, and, and the atheist would have, would have to say, in this moment of reason, based on what you've said, no, humanity cannot do anything to stop that God. Gamaliel made the exact same realization that, that this Christian belief is so absurd, it's so outlandish and crazy that if it succeeds, it couldn't have been a human thing because it's too crazy. Uh, so if it succeeds, it could only be of God, and that makes sense. I agree with that. I like it. The idea that Jesus came back to life after a crucifixion, mind you, certainly would not, that idea would not persist. 
because it is so outlandish. If all of the humans had just made it up, it is too crazy for a movement to have happened out of it. The same thing would have happened to Christianity that happened to these other guys. And it, it, it's so rational because if somebody shares with any of you a story that's just ridiculous and it's way, way, way out there, you're not going to buy it. Um, but here, the, they're saying, Gamaliel says, Christianity will die out. Why? Because frankly, it's too outlandish to survive. And nobody today could, could look back on all of these ancient people from, from that era and say, well, we're way more advanced than they, than they are. They were just so primitive way back then that in their culture, they were really gullible people and, and they always believed weird kind of myths and things like that. No, 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 no. The, this is not a primitive caveman ungabunga group carrying their, their you know, wives by the hair kind of people. Uh, the, this, is, this is not Fred Flintstone we're talking about. The, the, we're talking about the Greco-Roman empire that produced Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. We're talking about sophisticated, philosophical, rational people who knew mathematics, who knew literature. We're talking about people um, who created great literature, Homer's, the Iliad, and the Odyssey. We're also, by the way, talking about the Jewish culture, people who are highly disciplined, highly skeptical, people who research everything and, and, and to suggest that we're so advanced that for all of us advanced minds in this day and time, we know that dead people don't come back to life, but they thought dead people came back to life all the time. No, no, y'all, the people during that culture, they knew just as much as all of us, dead people don't come back to life. For all of them to start believing and following such an outlandish story meant that there had to be something supernatural behind all of it. Gamaliel's thought process here is brilliant. It's brilliant. If a real movement is born out of this outlandish story, then it would prove that the evidence, it would be evidence that it's true. There's no other way. And for them... They're, they made this correct assumption and that if it's true, there's nothing we can do about it. It means if God brought Jesus back from the dead, you know what? We could kill Peter and all the apostles, but who's to say he won't bring them back from the dead either? We don't know what this God is going to do if it's true. We cannot stand up against all of this. And as a demonstration that they couldn't stand up against it, Peter had just walked out of, the j of jail in broad daylight. And so they're saying, well, what are we going to do about it? And, and he's hoping that the movement doesn't last. Now, Gamaliel's argument is so rational that y'all know what? Let's use this exact sign of this exact line of reasoning for in our day right now. Popular atheism says that our belief in Christ is an illogical myth and that it was not true and that it never happened. If they're right, 
then it would have died out a long time ago because it was outlandish, because it was crazy. There is no way it could have succeeded on human power. And, and, and so what we're going to do right now is I'd like to lay out before all of you and to demonstrate to our whole world the success of Christianity. And it is not successful because we're great or we're good, y'all. The, the success of Christianity is not successful because we had Billy Graham. It's not successful because of the Great Awakening movement of Jonathan Edwards or any of the great theologians that we have had from Augustine to the Reformers until Karl Barth and during the, the modern period of all of it. That's not why. It is not, Christianity is not successful because we have great buildings or because Christianity has had money or because Christianity has had influence. No, on the contrary, the truth about Christianity is that we have messed up a lot of things. We, we're responsible for issues like the Crusades and issues like the Inquisitions, and we're responsible for closing a blind eye to human suffering all the time. The Christian church is oftentimes corrupt within. We, we, we just wait, hoping that we don't hear of another minister who, who fails another minister or, or, or a powerful person in Christianity that they come out, uh, the next headline that says that they did something atrocious and did something awful, that they stole money or did something immoral. We see it over and over and over. The, the point is this. Christianity has succeeded despite all of us. We, we didn't succeed because of human endeavor. If the movement wasn't of God, then there's no way that, that we would have been able to keep it all moving. We, we have done too much wrong to people in all of this time. When, when we think about all of it, we're like, oh my gosh. Did, did y'all know the Southern Baptist Convention, one of the, the, the reasons that it split apart up from the North is because our convention wanted to stick with, with slavery. But, but in 1955, the Southern Baptist Convention saw a million people accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. How? Because Jesus Christ was moving. That, that, that here's the big thing. God can hit straight licks with crooked sticks. I don't know how. But not only, not only has the church been corrupt within, the church has been persecuted from without. All of these groups throughout the world trying to quelch Christianity, and it never works. It never works. We're still here. We wouldn't be if it were human endeavor. We wouldn't be. But somehow we are rational. Gamaliel would say, because you're still here, it was a movement of God. It couldn't have been anything else. Impossible. It's so rational. If the Jesus story is not true, it goes away. It certainly would not exist in a place like Iran. The heritage of the Iranian people is, is Islam. They were born into Muslim families. They were taught the Islamic law. And the persecution of Christianity is great. And on top of all that, Christianity is still an outlandish story that believes that a dead guy came back to life. Put it all together, and, and, and 
And there's no way you would think Christianity would explode in Iran, and yet despite all of it, despite all of that, there is evidence that we're now seeing that's coming out of Iran saying that the church in Iran is one of the fastest growing churches in the world. Let me show this to you. Here is a picture. This is a group of Iranian women, and they are Christians in prayer meeting. Notice how her hands are folded in front of her in the Middle East, the way that people distinguish between um, Muslim prayers and Christian prayers as they say the Christians pray with their hands together. All of these women are at a, are, they, they, they are Christians praying together. There is a new documentary that just came out about how the Christian church is growing in Iran entitled Sheep Among Wolves. It suggests that Iran is one of the fastest growing churches in the world despite that it has no buildings, it's very persecuted, and it is mostly led by women. And I want to show you the very beginning of this video. I'm going to show you 34 seconds of it, and you're going to have to read. What you're hearing are Christian prayers in Arabic, silently praying. One Christian woman from Iran said this. This was her, her quote. I have it on the screen. We know that if they get us, they will mistreat us, and then they'll beat us, and ultimately they will kill us. This decision we have made, that we want to offer our bodies as sacrifices for Christ. They know that right out of their front door, Death awaits them, and yet they worship a risen Savior. Christianity today, um, the, the, uh, as the periodical Christianity Today has an article entitled, 40 Years Later, Iran's Islamic Revolution Feels Threatened by Christian Home Churches. I can hear Gamaliel in his rational statement saying it, if it's of human origins, it's going to fail, especially under such circumstances as Iran. It'll fail there for sure. But if it succeeds, then it is of God, and who can stop it? The church is growing in China. Estimates say that in 1980, there were 30 million Chinese Christians, and today, they say that there are 100 million Chinese Christians. Here is a picture of a church worshiping in a secret church, and you can see the choir kind of to the right of the screen um, with their choir robes on as they're singing. Um, even though they're meeting in these places, overall there is great persecution in China. The next picture that I have is a Christian church that the government is blowing up. But y'all know what? They blow up the church. Do you think the people are going to stop worshiping? They're going to find a way. And I'll tell you this. If people blew up this church, we're going to worship tomorrow. It's the way it goes. 
They, they, they've taken Christians, arrested them in China, and then harvested their organs, and yet they keep showing up for worship. I hear Gamaliel saying, if it is of human origins, this is going to fail, but if it is of God, nobody can stop it. The church is alive in Honduras, despite all of the drug cartels and despite all of the corruption. Our missionaries are telling us stories about what's happening and our own church members just came back yesterday and, and they have told, they've told us with their own eyes what they have seen. Before I preached this morning, about five minutes, I was coming, getting ready to come in here and I got a text message from Tammy Berkman. And, and I'll tell you what it says. She talks about what happened. I didn't have time to write it down, so I'm just gonna read it. Tammy says, they, we just got back from our medical mission trip and, and, uh, and working with church plants and our missionaries, and, and she said, medical missions are amazing when you see how much suffering is alleviated. At our house, we have a saying, sometimes love is the opposite of convenience. That's pretty good. In mission work, that is so true. Our missionaries have worked for months forming friendships, planting churches, and training pastors in the hillside villages, dotting the hills around Gracias, Honduras, to earn the trust of people for such a time as this. Because of what, because of what our missionaries, the Slikers and the Pettises have done, and the trust that they have built, we were welcomed in to conduct a free medical and dental event in the villages and teach Bible study classes in the schools. Our missionaries arranged to have translators and pastors from churches they planted to be ready and waiting when we arrived. From our team of 15, plus our missionaries and Honduras locals, we formed four different teams. Each of them had a doctor, a church representative, a community member, and a translator. We fanned out into the villages going house to house, beating the bushes to let the community know that there is a free medical care brought to you by Jesus Christ because he loves you. If they don't say, if they don't say that it's from Jesus, the people will just think we're nice Americans. <laughs> Each day our people set up a reception area a makeshift pharmacy and a makeshift examination room with makeshift treatment tables and other, ta and other tables and equipment with instruments and supplies and syringes and bandages. We had dental chairs that were made out of reclining lawn chairs <laughs> with instruments and a sterilizer that we kept going with a generator. And the people came. There were lines of people to receive much needed help. More than 200 toothaches were fixed or pulled and even more medical problems were solved. One man had a hernia down to his knee, for real, she said. He had been suffering for years, lice, scabies, children with cases of warts gone wrong, all fixed, all fixed or referred to a surgeon in town. Some days our team was so busy that they had not one bathroom break. Jesus the healer. 
sent out our team of doctors, dentists, nurses, EMS people, church members, worship leaders, and Norman to lead us. Our team made hygiene packets, and one of the hygiene, pack, uh, hygiene classes came to show how a mom could prevent the illness of her children. One of our team members spent $1,000 of her own money and supplies. Others took off work and traded their paycheck and vacation for the days where they could be privileged to be Jesus' hands and feet. One braved the trip with physical condition that caused major fatigue and pain, and one spent all uh, throughout all the days filming so that we could see what really happened in this place, the love of Jesus in action. I could keep reading. If any of y'all have ever gotten a message from Tammy Berkman, they're, 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 <laughs> you, you could keep going. Y'all, over and over and over, I, I, I hear Gamaliel, if it is of God, who can stop it? The, if it is of human origin, all of the corruption, all of the crime, it would have ended. And not just there, but right here. At First Baptist, Marble Falls, and in our town, and I'm certainly not comparing our situation to all of these, but right here, the gospel of Jesus Christ is alive and moving. During our Wednesday night youth program, Lane teaches the gospel to 150 students from all over our area every Wednesday night. A man gave um, him a call that was a youth minister in another area and said, Lane, I want kids to come to my church. Can you tell me the games you are playing? And are you feeding them? Are you just, you know, what, what, what are you doing? You know, uh, what, what kind of um, games are you doing to bring all the kids in? And he says, we sing about Jesus and I preach about Jesus. And so in the middle of cell phone addictions and Instagram bullying and fake relationships and pressures from society to ignore Jesus Christ in the middle of all that our youth are dealing with, the Holy Spirit is moving, and in the next couple of weeks, we're going to baptize 10 more youth. The if it is of human origin, it's going to fail. But if it is of God, it's going to succeed. And since the year A.D. 33, nothing has stopped the spread of our crazy outlandish story of the good news of Jesus Christ. What is the only rational explanation for all of it? I think it is very rational and reasonable to suggest this, that only a supernatural divine hand could be behind all of it. There is no other way. So here's where our, our journey comes to an end. All of this tells you and I something very important. Truly the greatest evidence that we have is, is our, our faith being lived out that no matter what, no matter what, we live out the gospel together. Like, living like Jesus demonstrates that, that, that there is evidence for Christianity. Faith cannot be proved empirically. But when a person um, stakes his life on something, 
when they say, I believe this by faith and I stake my life on it. I'm going to risk everything and declare publicly that this is where my flag is set and I'm gonna live it out, that that living out validates what we say. The author and priest, Brennan Manning, is the one who wrote the, the famous book, A Ragamuffin Gospel, that had such an influence on the late Christian song uh, writer, uh, Rich Mullins. And in the Ragamuffin Gospel, Brennan Manning had that great statement where he said, the greatest cause of atheism today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. Remember, when, when Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15 that be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that you have, that entire verse is predicated on the idea that there is actually a hope that we have and a life that is displayed to other people on which they're talking to us about. It's built on the idea that all of you actually live differently in this world. We, we, we are different on purpose. That would be a good t-shirt. Different on purpose. And throughout the sermon series, I, I have said that in the story of Christianity, there is hope and healing compared to the religion of popular atheism that offers only death to our world. But if it's true, that, that hope and healing are offered right here with all of us, then y'all, it is our responsibility to live a life of hope and healing in every way. And it is not some kind of secret, privatized religion that you are called to, where it's just kind of really, really so personal and so private. No, 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 no. We live out our faith for people to see who we are. All, all people go through hard times. I wonder, is the way you deal with hard times the same as the rest of the world or is it different? All people struggle raising their children. Is the way that you're raising your children different than the way the rest of the world does? How are you displaying all of it? Because that's your evidence. There was a young miracle worker in the first century in Jerusalem, and he loved people. He was quick to listen to everybody, and they called him a Jewish rabbi. And one day, he was sitting on a big hill with a lot of people, and he was teaching them, and, and, and the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. And one of the things he said to them on that day was this, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And neither do people light a lamp and hide it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. Will you bow your heads with me? This morning, if there is anyone here who, who has bought in to this, this 
unbiblical idea that your faith is some kind of secret, privatized kind of thing, would you repent from that and turn away from it? God gave you a faith so that you could be a light to people and demonstrate to them the hope that you have. Would you turn toward that? Would you commit your life to that kind of thing? Throughout all of this sermon series, I pray that it's touched you. And if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, and if you've never given your life to him, would you give him a chance to save you this morning? You've been listening to the First Baptist Church of Marble Falls, Texas sermon podcast. Never miss an archived sermon by subscribing to our podcast on either SoundCloud or iTunes. For more information about our church or to watch a video version of this and other sermons, please visit us online at fbcmf.org.